I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch presents the summer of Lovecraft. Well, even understanding you as a person over the last three years, I gotta say, has really opened up my mind to the terrors of the universe. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's appropriate. But yeah, uh, we're gonna get right into it. Uh, last month, we just finished off Pride Month. That, from a guest standpoint and like concept standpoint, was my was the most excited I was to do a month uh, this year. Same, yeah. From a movie standpoint. This what we're about to do is the is the one I've been most excited about. It's a little masturbatory what we're it's, doing. It's very masturbatory. So we'll we'll just get it right out of the way, uh, which is good to do with masturbation in general. Just get it out of the way. Go about I'll your just day. knock it out. Get a little bit. Of, don't let it hang over your head. Yeah, don't don't hide your light under a bushel. Don't hide your little guy or girl under a bushel. If we can, or they, just your little they. Person. Yeah, I don't want your little they. If we can convince just one person in the privacy of their own home, punish their own monster, uh, I think we've done some good work today. Yeah. If, if there's been one theme running through our podcast over the last three years, masturbate in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's our tagline. I didn't now. realize it was that specific, but yeah, now that you put it put it that way. Well, it's morning somewhere everywhere. Uh, yeah. So anyways, no, uh, where we left to watch for a movie podcast, we typically... Uh, pick a theme and then do a month's worth of movies around that theme. Uh, and this month is a little different. Instead of pick, doing one month, we're doing uh, the rest of the summer, July and August, on this theme. Uh, and we're cramming as many movies as we can in a week. There's going to be weeks where we just do one movie. And there's going to be weeks where, for a variety of reasons, we decide to cram two either sometimes related or just like, uh, I could talk about these for 45 minutes each, but we want to get to as many as possible. And that is uh, the summer of Lovecraft. We are doing uh, Lovecraft adaptations, mostly movies with a couple of exceptions, uh, and mostly Lovecraft adaptations with with an exception. Uh, We're really... Uh, well, we'll talk about this a little bit more in an episode coming up um, later, but we really, um, we really, Peter and I kind of bonded over uh, horror in general and Lovecraftian horror in specific. And so we've, we, we probably have a bunch of classic episodes to release along with this month of ones we've done in, uh, before. Stuff like Possession and The Thing and In the Mouth of Madness are really good examples of like movies that Peter and I both love that really feature a level of like Lovecraftian horror. But we haven't really done that much. Uh, just, just, just head into the fire. Let's talk about Lovecraft. And as we started compiling this month, uh, one month didn't seem big enough. It, and we wanted to kind of uh, to really do something a little bit different, but also really knock out something we've been wanting to discuss in uh, in more specific terms for a while. Definitely. And it's something that we bonded over originally yep. when we first started talking. It's something that I think speaks to our inner people. Uh, it's something that's massive. Like the idea of Lovecraftian is like such a cliche at this point. And we feel like it's actually it's gotten so popular that this is actually a, a prime moment to really get down into the details on what what the author was saying, what H.P. Lovecraft, what Howard Phillips Lovecraft was saying and what 
uh, adaptations of his work are saying because uh, adaptations needed to find a way to adapt his very purple, very heavy, uh, however, very short stories into 90 minute movies or 40 hour video <laughs> games or yeah. their own their own novels that are, you know, six yeah. times the length of his short story. So the, the, the adaptation aspect is, is where we're primarily focused on because we're focused on how people took his stories and pushed forward, though we're going to try and read a lot of Lovecraftian fiction as we go along to sort of talk about how people adapted it. Yeah. And I've which actually – we'll, 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 Oh, go ahead. Which is inverse to uh, one of my favorite podcasts is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Yeah. Which is from the HP Lovecraft Literary His- so- the- Historical Society. Yeah, the histor- HP Lovecraft Historical Society. And uh, the two of those guys, uh, the two hosts, they worked on um, the movies that the S- Historical Society put out. Yeah. And. Um, some of the other works there and it's yep. just a great podcast it's a great it's a great rundown of the stories but we're gonna kind of view it and they, they touch on some of the movies but we're gonna kind of touch on this and we're gonna kind of approach this from the opposite side yeah from the adaptations backwards yeah we're gonna be yeah we're gonna be primarily covering the movies uh i i've been i want to talk about this more i've been reading a ton of lovecraft over the past couple months um i it is funny how like Lovecraft seems to be like the most popular name in horror. I definitely discovered Lovecraft uh, in college a long time ago. Um, it, but it just, I think with Bloodborne and video games and uh, having almost like the ability to do that, it, it feels like this weird thing I discovered, uh, which I know, I mean, it was like, you know, 2003. It wasn't, it wasn't like the 80s where it was in the back of a used bookstore. Uh, I found some like non like, penguin book version of it um but it didn't it did seem like someone that like i had to explain to most of my friends at the time i discovered and now it just seems like saying lovecraftian fiction is like saying a slasher movie it's just kind of an accepted genre that has blossomed even if the actual straight adaptations of work as opposed to influenced adaptations of his work uh really really there hasn't been that much of a like so much stuff pulls from it but there still is a is kind of a, a desert of adaptations directly of his work. And we'll probably get into a little bit why that is. Uh, so, yeah. So this episode, uh, we're, we're kind of we're, – we're calling it Lovecraft Fear of the Unknown. There's a great uh, documentary that really does a good job of uh, – it's not all that artistic or anything, but it has some good talking heads and it sums up kind of – just tells the story of his life and his work and stuff like that. Uh, so we're using that as kind of the framework. I don't know how much we're going to talk about the movie itself because it's like in some ways it's talking about a special feature. <laughs> like yeah. so – but we're going to use this episode to kind of talk about that as the as the framing device. Talk about uh, some of our, our history with Lovecraft, uh, our history with uh, – uh, of um, – uh, so we're going to talk about our history with Lovecraft, some of the stories that we have read, stuff we're looking forward to read. We're going to talk a little bit about Lovecraft the person. Um, that's code for racism. <laughs> Everyone knows now. Like that's not even code anymore. Everyone's like, "Oh, you're going to talk about how racist he was?" Yeah, we are. Uh, yeah, these discussions have been had for 100 years. Yeah, yes. He was racist in his own time. He was not. Uh, he was not somebody who we're we're not ju- uh, judging the racial norms of the 1920s. He was racist even in the context of the 1920s and 30s. <laughs> yeah, and also if you were. If you were uh, acceptably racist for 1920, that's bad. Uh, yes, just yes, general. Yes. But also, 100%. if you were unacceptably racist for 1920, <laughs> also really bad. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, just kind of probably give our take a little bit about um, how that relates to our interpretation, the way we engage with with his work. Um, and so we're going to keep this relatively brief. It's going to kind of be an intro to that. The one thing I want to do before we get into that is we we do have a very long month uh so at the end of our episodes we're going to tell you what's coming up next week because a lot of the stuff is still scheduled and we're recording a lot at once to kind of push it out for our summer break so i'm going to give you at the top here the full rundown of movies we're covering and guests uh for july and august and then at the end of each week if you want to see what's coming up uh next week you can either look in our show notes or uh, listen to the end of our uh, episode where we all half fall asleep. So, the full lineup after this episode is uh, From Beyond, the Stuart Gordon movie. You're going to hear that name a lot. 
Uh, that's an Aaron and Peter joint. Then we're going to be doing uh, an adaptation of Lovecraft in the Mist, uh, the Stephen King, uh, the Stephen King adaptation by uh, Frank Darabont. Uh, I believe I actually just finished the book, and Peter, I are no- novella. Uh, so we may talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, I'd like to talk about it. I'm also reading it. Excellent. Uh, then we're doing uh, The Color of Outer Space, which is a German adaptation of that story shot in black and white from 2010. Uh, it's it's on Amazon Prime, but it is a little obscure in that it doesn't even have its own Wikipedia page. And then we're also doing Dan O'Bannon's The Resurrected uh, on that same episode. And the guest for that will be uh, Rick Kelly. Uh, then we are doing uh, the the two H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Historical Society movies in one episode. Those are Call of Cthulhu, which is ad- an adaptation that is set as if it was a movie made at the time that the story came out. So it's a silent movie from the 20s or in the style of that. Uh, and same thing with Whisper in the Darkness, which is the other movie that they did. That is a shot like a 1930s monster movie in that uh, story came out in the 30s. I've seen Cthulhu. I've not seen Whisper in the Darkness. I've been saving it for this. So Yeah, very here. Then on, uh, then we were doing another double feature, two more Stuart Gordon movies. We're doing uh, Dagon, the adaptation of Shadow Over Innsmouth, uh, and then uh, Stuart Gordon's H.P. Lovecraft-inspired Masters of Horror episode, Dreams of a Witch House. Uh, and guest for that episode will be Brandon Leday. Uh, he's been hiding in a cave uh, yeah. in seclusion. Uh, we found him. He's back. We dragged him out of his swamp cave uh, just to show him off, to exhibit him in front of all of you. And you can throw whatever you want at him. You can throw flowers. You can throw rotten fruit. Um, It's entirely up to you. Um, I would recommend chicken bones with the chicken still on it. Anyway, so great joke. Yeah, he he came back different. (laughs) Things have changed. But we'll (laughs) still try to talk to him. Uh, Then we're doing a double feature of... Stuart Gordon's Reanimator and Brian Usna's Bride of Reanimator uh, with returning champion uh, Luana Saida. Um, and then uh, I don't know if this will end up being a wrap up of the month or it'll end up because we're actually recording it like very soon. Uh, but we're going to be doing a special quasi we love to watch episode uh, and actually a Don't You Dare episode, the sidecast that we've released a few episodes for. Uh, with uh, Andrew Dar, where we will be covering the video game Bloodborne <laughs> it was a weird, weird enunciation. The video game Bloodborne. Uh, the video game Bloodborne, <laughs> which, uh, to my mind, is the best adaptation of Lovecraft to date. And maybe the best, like, Lovecraftian thing, uh, period. And also the Lovecraft thing that Peter and I uh, initially bonded over. So, and then we brought Andrew in. It. We brought Andrew uh, in. So I think we should rename the show uh, Don't You Dar. Great. <laughs> Just for one episode. I think it's a good idea. Don't you dar. Don't um, you dar. The original episode. So that was a lot of housekeeping. Cleeping? Jesus Christ. Uh, that was a lot of house. Keeping, but we wanted to just get that out there now. Hopefully, there's a, there's some movies are very easy to, to watch. Some uh, you have to buy from special Shout Factory uh, Blu-rays. Uh, but there's a lot of content, and we're gonna tr- we're excited to get to all of it. So, without further ado, Peter, are you ready to talk more about H.P. Lovecraft and the documentary Fear of the Unknown? I've been waiting so long for this. I know. Aaron. This is where the party ends. I can't stand here listening to you and your racist friends. I know politics bore you, but I feel like a hypocrite talking to you and your racist friend. It was the loveliest party that I've ever attended. I don't think this needs an alternate... Uh, tagline. Let me do a quick. <laughs> let me do a quick recap. Um, it tells the story of Lovecraft being born, uh, writing books, being racist. Um, it tells the story of a lot of his major stories you might be interested in, and what say Guillermo del Toro or John Carpenter thinks about those stories he wrote, uh, and then talks about him dying and uh, not doing so hot uh, for his life, and then eventually. Uh, people going, yeah, he's pretty good. Let's publish pretty good stuff. Pretty good, yeah. pretty good stuff. 
pretty good stuff. Yeah, it, it, his actual life story is pretty boring. His actual life story is that he was um, is that he was born in a sort of fading noble house. Um, his father did uh, lose his mind and uh, spend the rest of his life in an asylum. Um, you think that had, he, do you think? Just a quick question: Do you think that had an effect on him in any capacity? Yeah, so that probably had some effect on him. Um, Not in his work. Spoiler: uh, When his mom also went in, uh, probably also had an effect on him. Uh, but he was someone who. It was someone who grew up in a sort of uh, a fading nobility um, and tried to cling to that fading nobility as long as possible. But he was an only child who is both overloved and verbally abused by his very protective, very conservative mother, and then sort of taken under the wing of a uh, of, of uh, family members who were very conservative and very stuffy in this Rhode Island Providence uh, aristocracy, and uh, among. Among them were this industrialist uncle and these two aunts that that uh, were as influential on his racism as as anyone else around them, and he became someone who, as a child, he was a yeah he was a sickly child essentially, and uh, he was sickly, was, yeah he was a sickly child. And there's a question of how much of that was actual illness and how much of that was an overprotective mother. So he spent a lot of time as an outsider looking out from a bedroom window, looking outside. Uh, he was homeschooled for much of this too. So his, his socialization was severely harmed. Um, and he started writing, writing to his own fears and in a sort of Freudian sense revealed a lot of his fears over the years. And, and he, and he became, you know, uh, a working author, never quite a hit, but he could support himself and his meager his meager income. Uh, uh, he, barely. Yeah, barely. Uh, he died by some suspect based on his letters, particularly the the the, his, the noted Lovecraft historian S.T. Joshi, believe that he died basically thinking he was a complete uh, failure. Or yeah, and, complete- and and he hated most. Yeah, because he hated most of his work. Uh, even like some of my favorite stories of his, he was like, "This is garbage." In like interviews, um, his my favorite one was a uh, uh, Shadow over Innsmouth, and that was never published by his own choice. Uh, yeah, well, and there was yeah, he thought that was bad. He thought the case of Dexter Ward, which is the only so a lot of this stuff was actually published after his death, including some of his more well known and later works uh, that are some of his best stuff. Uh, he he definitely became a better writer as he went along, but he was always convinced that everything he wrote was garbage. And uh, everything, I think, uh, yeah, like his only novel didn't get published till after he died. Even like At the Mountains of Madness sat forever and it was rejected by a publisher. And finally someone was like, oh, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> we, we, we'll publish that. No problem. And that was like about around his death. Yeah, basically, it was like, like one of the last things he he like published in his lifetime. He barely got to enjoy um, any any sort of recognition from it, except for the direct recognition of his his friends and his his uh, admirers, uh, who he he formed a sort of circle around him, including Robert Block, who wrote Psycho, and uh, and several other authors, and some yeah. And some other authors. I'm really bad at doing history. Yeah, it's Telling fine. History we, is really hard. Well, yeah, I would actually recommend. Who, I would actually recommend if you want to know more about this stuff, watch the documentary. It's actually really. It's the kind of documentary I really love to like put on when I don't want to watch anything. It's kind of like those uh, uh, Never Sleep Again. It's it's good talking head interviews. It's an hour and a half. It like you know it hits you with the oh that's an interesting thing that we're going to talk about for three minutes and I'm going to hear people I like talk about it and then we're going to move on. Uh, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely worth checking out if you just want to like get a little taste of some of this stuff. Uh, and I also like it because some of the stories they talk about, some of the most famous stories I haven't read yet, I'm kind of saving it. I want to get into why that's the case. Peter, I'm going to ask you a question. I think there's three major things that we should talk about here. I think we need to talk about our history with Lovecraft, why it appeals to us um, as horror fans. I think we need to talk about his uh, general attitude <laughs> – towards people that were not uh, uh, white, straight, and male, and rich, and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Uh, and I think we should talk a little bit about the, the the stories that we've read, and what we like, and what we haven't, and what we're looking forward to uh, this month. So, um, that, to me, makes a lot of sense to talk about it in that order. But if, cool. if you want to 
if you want to get racism out of the way first. Maybe um, we should get racism out of the way. Um, and by that, I mean we're going to be talking about it for the next two months. Uh, because it, it, yeah. you can't – if you're going to be talking about the direct works and how the adaptations take it, it's uh, pretty disingenuous to bury – the man's racism. And yeah, well, and most a of the million arguments for how there's a million arguments for how you can interpret that, both from a historical perspective and a cultural perspective, and we're going to get into a lot of them. Uh, but what we're what what we need to reiterate here is that he was a troubled, scared man who was fascinated by the sciences and the world around him and he and it took him decades of his life before he could start to turn a new leaf and start to walk back some of his racism and and, and start to even feel shame about that racism and which he did it, a so, little bit i think it's been actually a little bit overblown blown about like well he started recanting at the end he was like maybe i was a little too harsh on like the jewish people of like like even his wife wherever Everyone's like, oh, well, you know, he clearly was getting better, quote unquote, because he married a Jewish person. Yeah, uh, he did. And his Jewish wife left because he was so anti-Semitic. So, yes. which they talk about in the documentary. So that kind of like, well, how racist could he be? He married a Jewish person, which he previously was like, yeah, no, he did. He want, he had never had sex before and was excited about that, it sounds like. Uh, but then she's like, and she oh. she was super encouraging as an artistic partner. And she he, was. And he was encouraging she, to, to her. She was an author of her own accord and, yep. a, and a businesswoman. Yep. But she – I mean, they they mentioned in the documentary, like, one of the main reasons she left is because he was so fucking racist. <laughs> yeah. Primarily – I mean, she left – I mean, you could summarize her leaving because she was so scared of – or he was so scared of – the world around him and new things and things that weren't part of of his weird bubble life as a child and i'm not making an excuse for it i'm actually saying it's actually kind of pitiful that he yeah, allowed yeah. Him, he allowed himself that he could have had this this wonderful beautiful life and he was given so many chances to embrace that wonderful beautiful life and he had a woman who was his, a creative supporting partner and he had friends around him that he never shared his his racist beliefs with directly and, and because he was ashamed of them and or he thought they wouldn't understand and and all of that because he was scared, which is it's pitiful. It's it not pitiful. it's not anything to it's, it's not anything to forgive. And and it's 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 a sick fandom, I think, to try and whitewash his racism. Yeah, and and that is the common thing. It's the it's the he married well, he married a Jewish person and he started recanting later in his life and well it was the twenties and a lot of people were racist and uh and like all those excuses are bad for a variety of reasons <laughs> yeah. we've already talked about. Um now he We've talked about in this show, if you're involved in any sort of discussion about like how you how you're able to not ignore people's racism or bigotry or misogyny or any of those kind of things, but like everyone has like personal boundaries that they've decided for whatever reason. I'm not going to engage with this person's work because of of their behavior. Like people in my own life is like i am not really interested in watching johnny depp films or or brian singer films or like and everyone has examples of that that's not something that i think that anyone should judge other people on because if you've cut out 80 percent of art or one percent of art over that that is a personal choice that should be respected both both ways because everyone's gonna handle those things and, and approaches those things differently Here's my take on why, for me, while I don't want to in any way brush past his racism as it relates to the stories he wrote, and, and we should engage with it. It's part of not just who he was as a person. It's also part of his stories. Here's why I don't necessarily feel any sort of guilt in engaging with his with his work. One is this part that Peter already mentioned. Like, he was a scared, pathetic person who saw – terror in anyone that didn't look like him and it is pathetic it is pitiful it 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 feels you know he he spent most of his time being scared in his home and not leaving and that goes to almost my second point like he was not a rich or powerful man who was able to take his views for the most part and use it to like ruin other people's life specifically now those views themselves do 
But, like, I think it would be different if he was, like, a rich author who, like, was fucking, you know, taking that power and using it to propagate the idea of racism or bigotry and stuff like that. Like, he was a poor, almost unknown author sitting in his house writing about how scared he was of black people. Like, yes. To me, can I add to something real yeah, quick yeah. on that? Just really quickly. Um, to, to add a point there while we're there, it's that... Uh, also, the racism in his work is evident because of um, we us knowing his beliefs outside yeah. the story and us uh, reading into them as allegory or metaphor. Uh, I uh, There is an argument to be made that's been made by S.T. Joshi and a couple other authors in, in the field that um, I'm going to come back to Joshi a lot because he's a really like fun dude yes. to read. Um, and uh, is that uh, he... You, these pieces, these are these uh, is that a lot of Lovecraft's racism was actually just a fear of the outsider, fear of the un- unknown, and it was kind of non-specific in in certain contexts. Yeah. And that there are lots of moments in say, uh, but there are moments in say uh, from beyond, or not from beyond. Sorry, there's moments in uh, Reanimator, Herbert West Reanimator, I should be more specific, where he references uh, his, his sort of dislike of all these newcomers, these Irish and these Italians and these well, black and that, people. Well, and that happens a lot. Yeah, right. Yes. Like, there's but, like, oh, this, yeah, you know, he talks about these weird practices and then always makes it clear that, like, the the weird practices are done by these weird people that aren't like you and me. Yes. And and, and I imagine, and uh, so sometimes it's very, it's very specific about different races and sometimes, which is always disgusting and it ruins the story. Like, for instance, there's one called The Street, and uh, there's one called Terror at Red Hook, and both of those are like horror at Red Hook. Yeah, or horror and Red Hook, and they're both just like one to one, just racist shit being being told, and it ruins the story entirely. Whereas in a lot of the stories, like Shadow Over Innsmouth, one of the things that's been um, uh, allowed me to to enjoy that story so much, even with my reserves about it, is that. Uh, it's about a general fear of outsiders and it's not a specific attack on uh, Asians or Italians or Irish people or Jews or whatever it's or Jewish people or whatever. It's it's just sort of like this generalized horror of the outsider. So like sometimes sometimes you could read these stories without even realizing it. So, and I don't think you'd be a very and I don't and I think that means that you would very often not be a very good um, converter or very good a mouthpiece for converting people to racist views. I don't think I don't think he would be a particularly effective arguer for that. So actually that's it's it's funny that you mentioned that because that was actually like my third point that for the most part the stories and the adaptations of his work like I found out later on like a lot of people were reading about like his personal beliefs and other things that like that he was a xenophobic and racist and all that kind of stuff. I read one of the few stories that I got uh, that I made my way through in college uh, was Shadow Over Innsmouth, and I had like like I had no idea that that was a, like I and I saw the movie Dagon and stuff like that, and I was like or Dagon, and like it's like oh yeah, horrifying monster fish people like that's a that's a concept that Bloodborne takes with with no uh, I think xenophobic properties like there's something where the, the horror that he writes about can be taken at face value I think without like I don't I don't consider myself someone who doesn't look into themes and underlying messages and I've never been that way like I I've always been interested and that's kind of why we do this podcast like. And I didn't get that from Lovecraft's the work that I did read and adaptations. Now, once I found out who he was and once um, and once like you then go, oh, so you see here in this story about the fish people fucking and making a monster fish race. It's actually about his fear of, of interbreeding races. And I go, yeah, I can see that. I'm going to use a weird metaphor. But it's what I think about. So I'm so my wife and I well, work together. It's how we met. Um, and one time I, sometimes she would be like, <clears throat> Hey, I'm going to send this email to this person. I'm really, that really upset me, but I think it's too mean. So can you proofread it to make sure it's professional? And I would read it and it would be wholly perfect. Like nothing in there was, was really like clear unless like 
you knew that this person was just angry at someone else. And I would laugh at her or not laugh at her, but I would laugh and just go, um, you know, this, the only reason why you think this is mean, like this is wholly okay to send. She's, that person's not going to know that you have any animosity towards them. It's because as you're writing these words, you're writing them with hate. And so like, <laughs> it, you know, in your mind, like that hate is being transferred onto the page in a way that, yeah, if you knew that you were angry at this person, I could read this and go, this is someone that's angry. Like it's in there. But anyone else that read it would just go, oh, this is someone who is asking for some information as quickly as, you know, that kind of thing. I do think about that with Lovecraft. Like, I read Shadow over Innsmouth, and I never was like, this is about his fear of interbreeding. <laughs> you know? Afterwards, it makes a lot of sense, and maybe it made more sense to the people that would have read it 70 or 80 years ago, because I do think his, like, use of language is also sometimes very dense and hard to get through for a modern reader, but I just, I, I think, you know, death of the author, Peter and I talk about that we... We're, we're not always interested in what the author has to say. I think you can read that story as just a, a fear of monsters and horrific things. And I think you can do that for a lot of his stories where the metaphors are there if you know what he was thinking at the time, but maybe not so there on the page. Yes. And uh... with exceptions, like you mentioned, like the street. And uh, there's a, there's definitely a couple other ones where it's like, oh, yeah, if you read these stories, I could see why you would get that. Yeah, just uh, yeah, and, and uh, so like Aaron was saying, I think Aaron said it really well, and that's that uh, if these stories bother, if if the the racial context that these were written in, which is uh, a crazy arist aristocratic scared little baby man, uh, uh, if that if that context is uncomfortable, you're like that's. It's totally understandable why this stuff would you be pushed off this stuff because but this man was scared of of fucking everyone and he wrote about how everyone that wasn't a white Anglo straight man uh, who had the same se sexual proclivities as him was well and was, also was also the same level of educate like he so many of his stories are about just like idiot New Englanders and they're like backwoods practices like you know those are people that are like the same as him from a uh, ethnic and sexuality standpoint but just had different like educations and upbringing and he hated them and was scared of them as well like his you're, you're right peter like his it, it, it's it's it is like full-blown xenophobia of anyone slightly different than him yeah and i think that leads directly into what what did he what is lovecraft to you so uh, to me it's uh it, it's the term lovecrafty is tied up with cosmic horror this idea that the universe is and the word, the word cosmic horror is more specific the word the words cosmic horror is is more about um a uncaring unfeeling universe that will step on you the way you might step on a bug, like without without knowledge or care or forethought or strategy, and it's just going about its own business. Um, yeah, that the universe isn't evil or good; it is just uh, not even uncaring, but like unignored. Like it doesn't even recognize us as a thing that is worth caring about. Yes, and it's very tied up with nihilism and similar sort of. Um, uh, amoral views on uh, not immoral but amoral views on the universe that there's not an inherent good or evil there's not a god and devil there's the, the, the duality of the universe is something that is is entirely irrelevant to these movements uh, and then largely. that's and then that's combined with the idea that the more you understand man's place in the universe the more it drives you crazy by how insignificant you and we as a people are those two are, like, not related to the eldritch horror stuff. But I think uh, for me and this good transition, like, for me personally, the reason why I started to really get into the concept of Lovecraft, and I want to underline and come back to that, the concept of Lovecraftian horror was about the same time that, like, I was also falling out of faith in religion. So this idea of an uncaring um, universe was something that intellectually I maybe was falling away from faith and understanding from a scientific standpoint how some things may have come to be in a way that I didn't 
think before and then also kind of faced with the horror of the abyss if what what I what I now thought was reality was true that even though there was a lot of fear in the concept of hell for me as a former catholic the fear of the unknown the fear of not knowing that there's a you know I was told there's a heaven and a hell and a purgatory and when you die you go to one of those places hopefully it's not hell that's going to be terrible for you don't fuck it up which um, is a comfort to a lot of people, right? Which is a comfort, like worst An case scenario. Comfort, like worst case scenario. Path, you go there. Yeah. Worst case scenario, I like exist as I'm, you know, for other a lot of different reasons, falling away from that. It it was about the same time that I just serendipitously, not on purpose, that I kind of discovered Lovecraft. Although I'm sure once I started reading what his what his books and what his horror was about. There was a part of me that like perked up as what I was going to personally. So, so that's why that that con- that that concept of the fear of the unknown and that appealed to me. And I didn't understand the subtext because I definitely understood the idea that like, oh, the more I learn, the the more scared I'm getting of of this idea of I can't really understand this anymore. Like, I may be able to understand like how mass and energy transfers and that can create a consistency and like. The, the matter of the universe for like eternity but now i can't understand what that means for me what that means for my consciousness what that means for like the idea that i would be around and be with my loved one you know so so that's like the the horror of lovecraft was so was so like perfectly married to my personal uh transformation from a belief standpoint it was almost like uncanny so that's why, like, it, the yeah, the subtext never really noticed me because just, just face value, I was like, I get it. What if there is no God or God doesn't care about me? I've been told my entire life that there's a God who thinks I'm special. He really likes me. He said we're going to write. We're still going to be pals after camp. All that kind of stuff. I, I definitely gravitated it towards it as a concept um, very easily and was, like, sucked in. Now, here was the problem I had, Peter. So I bought uh, one of the Penguin paperbacks that collected a bunch of the stories. Uh, and before I did that, I read a ton of stuff. So, like, reading about all the different elder gods and, like, what his fiction was about and synopses of his story and stuff like that. I had a really, really, really hard time reading his work. Even I did, too. So- even for someone – oh, go ahead. I, re- I, bought, I bought the Penguin paperback with that awesome, uh, like, almost, like, Greek picture of the – Yeah. The which one did, you, which one on did a- you buy? There was three. I had one. Uh, uh, I think it was the Call of Cthulhu. Theme I, bought, I bought the same one. Yeah, uh, and I actually was bringing it out recently because I have the giant books that didn't fit well on a plane. <laughs> yes, and also that I think that collection has some of the more more of the stories that we're going to talk about this month. Uh, to the, some of the, there's so many collections of his stuff, and it's also all in the public domain. So like you you can when I finally got to reading it, I was reading the public domain Kindle thing that just had all the stories in chronological order. But I picked up that that Penguin edition too, and I was super attracted to the idea of this. Uh, I, I at that point, yes, I had already abandoned religion, and I felt like if there was a god, that he had abandoned me and he abandoned the human race. And at that point, like I might as well figure out my own purpose in the universe. And it was the it was the beginnings of a spiritual journey that would continue to this day, and is probably not that interesting to talk about. But the the that was that was exactly where I was at too. Is that is it like I young ex-Catholic who was pushed into this shit. And then I found Lovecraft who was like, uh, the universe is bigger and scarier and more unknowable than you could possibly imagine. And also and- there, there are forces at work that you could never understand. And guess what? You are not the center of the universe yeah. by any stretch. By yeah. any stretch. Well, and I'm sure you too, like there was a part where I, uh, I hate saying the term lost your faith. Because that is such a like Catholic way to put, uh, or like a religious way to put what what has happened to me by not having belief in their religious structures anymore. But whatever. Um, but there is there is a part I like to of think you, I gained a Sunday. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't lose my faith. I gained an extra weekend day. <laughs> um, but there is a part of that where you almost like, uh, and I still sometimes feel this way that like I wish I still believed it, or I wished in some ways it was just true. Um, because then some things in life are easier, especially as I get older. Like, so there is that, like, almost like, oh man, uh, and again, the, the knowledge or whatever I gained 
was it worth it? I've opened up a whole new can of worms for myself, and I want to go back to to not to not having <laughs> read those books or gone through those personal crises or whatever else. So I was really interested, and in, I started um, renting a lot of the movies that were based on it because I so I read uh, out of that book. I picked. I started reading at the beginning, and let me tell you, that was a mistake. Did not work. Uh, so I ended up like getting. I was really interested in reading so much about like because I watched the movie Dagon. And so I read Dagon only to find out that that's that's not what that movie's about. Um, no, it's a Shadow Shadow, Shadow, Rinsmith. Shadow Rinsmith, Yeah, yeah. So I so I read that. I read Call of Cthulhu because I was really like this is even like pre South Park like Cthulhu stuff. So and so yeah. I but I I really like struggled to get through those. And so I ended up reading more like Wikipedia type plot summaries. I'm trying to remember if Wikipedia was a thing, but like whatever sure that was. version was. Yeah, because I just I really couldn't get into the language. I remember even I brought the book the to um to Mexico in like the summer of two thousand four, and like I brought a ton of books, and I was reading on the beach and on in our house that we rented and stuff like that. And I would just like read a few pages of that and realize I just I hadn't been registering any of the words. So uh, I kind of I really haven't given Lovecraft a try until about a uh, nine months ago when we first had this idea for the month. I'd bought I'd bought that book and I'd always been like, okay, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this again. But I really hadn't read much. Uh, and you mentioning that the that that bot the podcast the HP uh, Podcraft HP uh, Literary Podcast has actually been the key that has opened it up for me. Especially some of his early short stories where I've been able to read them and then sometimes like not really get what the fuck I read. Even now. Like I'm just like – or like my mind wanders a little because the the verbiage is difficult to get through. And then hearing them discuss the story, discuss the plot points, pull out key phrases has almost trained me to read Lovecraft better. So now I've I've read about more than half his stories, but I, I I have a lot of big ones and longer ones still to get through and and plan to by the end of this month. Uh, but yeah, I've read I've read like four hundred pages of the eight hundred page book with all of his stories, and now I have I don't have to read I don't have to listen to the podcast right after. Like I've gotten much better at pulling out all the stuff, and also it's helped that as I get later into this chronological book. His his stories are more fully formed and better written too, but that that podcast has been a lifesaver as to me to finally kind of the stories from a like literary perspective, and also the act of reading his stories can feel somewhat um, alienating. So sometimes it's nice to uh, have some buddies at the end of it that are that are yeah. going through the stories with you, and they're funny and they're really smart guys. Um, uh, yeah, I, so I first got into it in the same time, similar time, I think, in junior high, and I started reading about the mythos sort of in a uh, in a more meta high level, satellite level, and reading about all the other authors that had added to it. Yeah. How it was just this universe. And oh, the, yeah. The I, I fucking love that, too. And, and I love – okay, so there's a – to use a specific example, there's a – there's a part in Shadow over Innsmouth where he just gets into architecture porn. He just is describing the town and how how confusing its layout is and how labyrinthine the layout is and how it just keeps going and it's 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 maze-like and he just loves describing all the specific gabled roofs and the the crazy Victorian architecture and yet and like it's it sort of gets to a point where your your mind kind of glazes over the words and his prose can be so purple, but in yeah. a way that I find really enticing because it is sort of like maddeningly obsessed. In that same, so let's blow out to a satellite level the fat the, the the mythos and the universe that he built and people added to the universe got so mad, maddeningly obtuse that it made it feel untouchably large. Yeah, like I could never fully understand it. So, like in a in a in a way that I don't know if it was intentional or not. Both in the author in his, within a specific one work, Shadow and Smith, talking about architecture, and within the the author network um, that he built, because he took on proteges and he took on he took on authors who were just like, yeah, I'm going to add to the mythos. I'm going to add this yeah. one little. While he was alive, and he encouraged it. He yes, he loved and, it, and, and he it, also did a, that in his own. Um, just as a really quick side note, um, 
Like, he actually really, he wanted to build this idea of, like, was his writings fact or fiction? Um, or, like, were they part? So, he was, like, he was so good at, the picture in the house is a really good example where he, where it's about this real book. I didn't know it was a real book till I listened to that podcast with all these weird pictures of these African tribes and them eating people. And you're reading that and you go, oh, that's a fake book, right? And then you find out, no, that's a real book that he based his story around. So, and then later on, like that book is mentioned with two other real books and then also the Necronomicon written by, you know. Uh, and so like the way that he like takes real life moments and incorporates it into his fiction and then takes those uh, those things and repeats them, both his, his, his fictional creations later on as like also facts. So they repeat and they repeat. It does even in his own work builds this amazing tapestry of these these locations and these places and these books. Some of them are real and some of them aren't. But at some point, it does start to feel like it is like this amazingly planned creation that like, like you said, Peter, that drew me to it too. Like finding out that there was like this horror author from a hundred years ago who was like seeding these stories with these little hints of what's to come was like, amazingly enticing at a time that like most mainstream fiction wasn't doing that at all yeah and for someone that likes to sit down and explain why uh, why a character is feeling a certain way or uh what yeah the emotional experience of going through this thing is because it, people like to say that that uh hp lovecraft never described things he never described things in specific detail which is like bullshit that like half of his stories describe the monstrosities in very specific detail um especially later on but anyways so he would he, the fact that he was writing these these stories that that sort of echoed out and like you said seeded out into this wider universe this network of stories and you could never really remember it all. You could never catch it all. Even historians are like, yeah, I don't have a full grasp on on everything that's connected to this. Um, it, it 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 it's enticing in a it's enticing to the scientific mind in a way that a Lovecraft protagonist would be enticed to this. So, uh, Lovecraft protagonists are usually are usually. Uh, someone who's somewhat scientifically minded or at least has a uh, – or someone who's a scientist or at least somewhat scientifically minded. And yeah. they get – they somehow get swept up. Their curiosity gets the best of them. And before they know it – Would you say it killed it, the cat? What? Would you say it killed the cat? Oh, it, the curiosity. It killed the cat. And you don't want to know what that cat's name is. Um, no, no, you do not. You do not. Uh, Lovecraft named his his cat a racial slur that I'm not repeating. It is. Uh, it is weird. Some. Um, I read the audiobook version of that story that mentions the cat's uh, name. Yeah, uh, it was weird to be like, shouldn't you be bleeping this author reading the story? <laughs> <laughs> like a s uh like a secure contain protect story where they blot out uh doctors' names. Yeah, like, it was just a little. And, like, and my beloved cat. Like <laughs> I know you're reading an audio book, but I don't know if that makes it okay. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So so it, it brings you into the universe, and I don't know how much of this is intentional, but but the connected universe and the individual stories themselves make you an obsessive who's worrying about those purple prose details and yep. it demands of you to kind of get into it which is why i bounced off of it when i was 13 but then after uh five six years at some point i reconnected with the works themselves after i'd become more acquainted with the ideas and i got more comfortable with the fact that hey i might not catch all the details here but that's fine because these these uh these characters are very often confused about the details and they're very often getting lost in in their obsession and maybe like what's happening in front of their face is not as important as what's happening in their mind um and, and yeah. that's that's ultimately what brought me into lovecraft and what keeps me into lovecraft is that the horror is happening on a psychological and emotional level inside your head and it's about obsessed people trying to dig into the mysteries of the universe and finding a, a, a gaping abyss in front of them and them saying, well, I mean, if I just pop my head in the abyss a little bit, wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, that's what I, I – I am a man of science. I need to I need to learn uh, more. It is funny that even like uh, Lovecraft had a sense of humor about his uh, – 
the way he was accused of not uh, using like any sort of adjectives besides like eldritch or 20s or like strange or undescribable because there's that great story um unnameable the unnameable Unnameable, yes which is literally about someone criticizing one of his favorite protagonists oh he's in a lot of stories uh not ethan carter randolph carter who is like yeah no i saw a monster and i couldn't describe it and there's a guy like going everyone could describe it you're you didn't see it if you can't describe it and the whole story is him taking him to or not taking him because they're at the house that's the twist where the monster is and like the end of the thing is like him in the hospital going like and the doctor's going what 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 attacked you and he's like it was it was unnameable <laughs> like that is literally him writing a story about like people that are saying well you can't really describe it because he does give you a sense of what it is and there is horror in not being able to fully describe what's out there and that's why like I'm sure one of the other reasons that you were drawn to Lovecraft in the same way I was. I'm actually Peter and I have never talked about this. It's actually amazing how close our stories are when it comes to Lovecraft. Once again, why we're really good friends and started a podcast. Not too shocking, but like the uh, the artist renditions of the monsters that like I would find online were like, holy shit, what the fuck is this? Like, I need to see more of this. I'll say the Lovecrafty. Uh, is very often boiled down to an aesthetic, which is tentacles and sliminess and fishies and, uh, you know... Uh, and we, we've done it too, right? Like, Possession is mostly Lovecraftian in that there's like a tentacle fuck monster. Yes. And I and I also think like uh, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing gets compared to being, and it's my favorite movie, it's compared to being to Lovecraft. And I don't see it that much. Um, that one I think is a little – I actually haven't read At the Mountains of Madness, but everything I know about it, like there's definitely components there. Finding it's very the different from Mountains of Madness. It's not even on the same continent. But they find – don't they find an alien in the ice? Uh, yeah, but it's far more complicated than that. But it's 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 uh they find an alien in the ice and it's pretty much entirely different from that. But you can talk about but you can talk about uh uh, the thing being cosmic horror. Yeah. That this thing dropped out of the sky. Maybe it didn't even intend to invade, yada, yada. And it, now it's here. And now it's, it, we're just, a, it's next playground. Um, yeah. And uh, you can, you can make that argument, but like it very often is boiled down to the tentacles or the in- inability to describe it because um, its form keeps shifting or it's fishy. To me, to me, Lovecraft and the thing that keeps bringing me back to it is that Lovecraft is not so much an aesthetic, a specific aesthetic. It is a challenge to me. It is it is a challenge. It's saying there are there are things that the human mind cannot comprehend. Find a way to make some comprehension of them and make it scary. Yeah. And, and, and that's what's kept me me going with it so long. And that's like why I, I like I have been working on a Lovecraftian horror trilogy for years now. And I, one of the books is like in its third draft and like, because I love the idea of just taking my mind to that place that like, uh, the reasons that this thing exists as this thing is not understandable to us. And it's not just that it's so gross. It's just, it's so gross. I can't even yeah. get into it. It's that it's like bodies aren't supposed to be shaped that way and nothing is supposed to look that way. And what fucking, that's not a color. That's not a, that's not a texture. Like this is, that's what has, has brought me back to it is because it's a, it's an open ended challenge to people to say, um, Describe the undescribable. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's perfect. Um, and I agree. Like, there is something where I really, you know, the last few months, I've been picking up the book every once in a while, listening to an audiobook here. The good you know, book. Reading more about it, stuff like that. And, like, uh, made a lot of progress. And I, I've, on top of that, from, like, a video game perspective, all I've been playing is the Resident Evil games, which are not Lovecraftian. But I've really been surrounding myself with, like, nothing but horror all the time the last few months. And, like, the thing about Lovecraft, even as an author, is the more you read, the more you get, you know, listen to the podcast about it, the more you kind of get into it and then read entries and interpretations on the stories. Like, I'm uh, I'm excited to try to read all the rest over the course of these next uh, two months. And, yeah, it's I, now at one point, you know... Not too long ago, it was like, am I ever going to get through these Lovecraft stories? Like, 
can I just read about them and like the concepts? Like I did say uh, a long time ago that like I love Lovecraft except his stories. Like everything Lovecraft is really good. Uh, but like reading the actual stories is actually the least interesting part. And I don't feel that way anymore. So I'm, I'm really excited to keep digging deep. I So I've read I've read a lot of his lesser known stuff starting kind of at the beginning for the most part. Um, so I will, I will say some, so there's a lot of big stuff I've never read that I'm going to get to this month. Everything from like, um, uh, Dunwich Horror, uh, uh, At the Mountains of Madness, uh, Whisper in the Darkness, Shadow Out of Time, Rats in the Wall. I'm actually reading the case of Charles Dexter Ward right now, because we're going to be recording the podcast on The Resurrected here soon. Uh, Dreams in the Witch House, Thing on the Doorstep, The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. There were like, so there's a lot of big stuff, uh, especially some of the longer stuff I haven't read. I'm very excited to do. Uh, of the stuff I have read, I'm going to name my favorites. Um, uh, so number one is Color Out of Space. Uh, I really love that story. Uh, it's one of the, the stories that I've read so far that f- doesn't feel like you're working to uh, to meet Lovecraft on the, his writing level. Like, it really jumps off the page. It's very descriptive and then not descriptive in all the right ways. I'm really excited to watch the um, the adaptation uh, that was done. Who uh, who's What's that Lovecraft uh, critic that you like so much? Oh, S.T. Joshi? He called, yeah, he called the adaptation the best um, the best adaptation of a Lovecraft story, the movie. So, oh, interesting. Excited, excited for that. Uh, and then uh, my other two uh, favorite stories uh, so far are The Outsider, uh, which uh, was adapted into a movie that we passed on this month that I've yet to see, uh, Castle Freak. Um, but I've heard it's a very loose adaptation, which makes sense based on the story. Uh, it's a very Poe-type work, but I really like it. And then the other one is The uh, Statement of Randolph Carter, which was – the first – when I was reading him in order, it's like his 12th thing that he had written. And it really was the first one that I was like, oh, that's horrifying. I love this. That was the first one that kind of crossed that threshold to, oh, I didn't have to work to enjoy that story. So, yeah, I'm uh, there's still a lot um, I'm excited about to get into this month. Um, but those those are my favorites as of right now anyways. Um, yeah, I uh, – that's a pretty – that's a pretty damn good list. I've read – Almost every one of his stories, uh, 64 of them, I believe, is, is the count I have. But my the ones that have stuck out that I would really recommend is, uh, for the long ones, I actually recommend Shadow Over Innsmouth is, is the long one over... Um, uh, yeah, I've read that one. That one's good. I, I would recommend that just to our audience in general at, over... Um, uh, Mad the Mountains of Madness. At the Mountains of Madness, I've always struggled to get through, despite its connection mm-hmm. to the thing, um, and the fact that Guillermo del Toro has tried and failed to adapt it a few times. Um, Colorado Space is the other one that I'm a huge fan of, and I'm glad you you, you connected with that one. I like that one even more than like Call of Cthulhu. It's just yeah, a really too. fun story. Yeah. There, there's sort of an unofficial remake of that, an unofficial adaptation of that, which is the Creep Show segment. Uh, oh uh, yeah. Stephen King's creep show segment <laughs> yeah. about the comet landing. It's yeah. the same story. Um, just, you know, less complicated. Uh, more more comedic. Yes. I too. Yeah, I should, I should say the three that I read a long time ago that I'm planning to reread are is Reanimator, Call of Cthulhu, and um, Shadow Over Innsmouth. Yeah. And the uh, other one that I highly recommend that I feel like people don't mention that much is The Temple. Oh, yeah. Temple's pretty good. The Temple... That's a very is, early one. That one stuck with me more than most of his stories. Uh, the Temple is about a... It's It's got a really cool pitch. It's basically about a uh, World War I uh, Nazi... Not, we'll say not Nazi. World War I German uh, U-boat commander who... Yeah. Uh, Kill, uh, who uh, is at war out in the seas and then eventually he's forced to go underwater and he discovers uh, I believe it's Relier but he essentially discovers an underwater city that's home to unnameable disgusting beasts um, and it came out years before Call of Cthulhu so I don't know if it's specifically Relier but yeah it's it's a great story because it's specifically in the viewpoint of this sociopath sub commander and it's one that i i just i love um yeah those would be the ones i highly recommend there's been a few that like have really put my like teeth on edge like the facts concerning late arthur german and his family 
That one's pretty good. That one's really gross. Um, just like, just it, it, it makes me uncomfortable. That's the one where he finds out he's part monkey, right? Yeah. So that's similar to Shadow Over Innsmouth. Definitely is problematic on some level. Yeah. Um, but as a as a a story, just within its own context, it's about uh, family curses and uh, you know the sins of the father, which is another uh, theme that I'm very much into. So. I really like uh, Picture in the House I mentioned, which I really like. Uh, it's the one where he like yeah, starts reading a book and this old guy who gets super weird till blood starts pouring out of the ceiling and then the story ends. Yes. Um, that one's fun. So, the temple's good. I actually prefer and I feel it's very similar to The Nameless City, which is the one that is, is pre-Cthulhu but also feels like – in some ways it feels like the start of Cthulhu because – uh, that's the one where he goes down and finds all those pictures of like the re- the god and reptilian crocodile type creatures who like clearly warred with the humans inside like this um, pyramid in the city. Ah, uh, um, yes, this was this was around a similar time as the temple. I think maybe the same year. Yeah, yeah, like literally, like uh, I'm looking at the chronology like five stories apart. Yeah. <laughs> so I read uh, them chronologically, which is quite. <laughs> Yeah, I'm essentially doing that, but I'm also starting to skip around to make sure, like, I uh, finish uh, the, the, case the big of, boys. Yeah, the, finish the ones that were like the case of Charles Dexter Ward, and before we talk about the movies themselves. So, um, yeah, I'll, but I'll I'll get to all of them. I mean, I'm from a story perspective, I'm more than half done. From a page perspective. I'm probably about 40% done. <laughs> yeah, this, and that's the other thing that's nice is most of his stories are pretty short. He didn't really write novels as much. Um, yeah, the longest one is uh, is the, the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Uh, and then he basically has like two novellas, which are the Dunwich Horror and Out the, At the Mountains of Madness. And I then, love Dunwich Horror, by the way. I haven't read that one. That's one I haven't read. I'm very excited to. It, it's ending is a... Its ending can be a little anticlimactic in in a certain sense, um, but at which Call of Cthulhu is not. <laughs> Call of Cthulhu has like one of his most climactic endings. Yeah, which is famously why they made the movie about it. Uh, no, Call of Cthulhu is great. Anyway, so yeah, that's. Uh, I think we can probably end there for now. We have a whole other episode to record tonight. Uh, the next episode will be from beyond. Uh, so if we sound a little tired. <laughs> At the beginning, it's because it's like, for you, it's been a week or so. For us, it's like, bing, bang, boom. Pee break, boom. Yeah. Run beyond. It's um, been boom, bang, and bang. It's, it's, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> that's more, that's, I think, I think a bing, bang, boom n- denotes more than just a quick pee. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like a boo, boo, pew, pew, pew. It's, it's, uh, I have, I have kidney stones, so that's why it's like, <laughs> boo, 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 pew. They don't go you're, away. You're, just, you're firing kidney stones out of your dick? Uh, yeah. I just have them all the time. Um, my awesome. body has just learned to just, just make it part of the urinating process. That's my own Dunwich horror. God. Um, yeah. my. I mean, the knowable horror of what's happening in your colon. Yeah. They come from within, which is why I like from beyond so much because it's like, uh, if only. Yeah. If only the horror could be coming from outside of my body as opposed to shooting out kidney stones like fucking BBs. <laughs> uh, what do you use as the lever? Do I want to know? The lever? Yeah. On a BB gun. Oh, it's like each each individual tex- testicle is like, boop, boop, boop. It's, a, it's like a double barreled shotgun, but for a BB gun that fires up specifically kidney stones. You know in Terminator 2 when uh, Arnold does the like full spin of the lever action uh, gun? Yeah. Do you just do it? Do you I, just do I like stretch a my flip? testicles down to my flo- to the floor. That's what that is. That's when I get the really big kidney stones out. Uh, this is certainly horrifying. I don't know if it's Lovecraft. But it's uh, yeah, horrifying. it's unfortunately fear of the now way too known for you. Yeah, far far too known. Uh, ignorance was bliss. Ignorance was bliss. Uh, yeah, watch the documentary and uh, we're going to get into the actual adaptations next week. So we're very excited. So please join us next week to talk about uh, the Stuart Gordon uh, adaptation that asks, hey, what if Lovecraft got a little sexy? <laughs> What if Lovecraft said, I'm going to go get sexy? What if Lovecraft, but also super horny? <laughs> um, and it answers the question that maybe don't do that, because that's actually my least favorite part of that movie. But anyways, 
We'll get into that all next week on We Love to Watch Summer of Lovecraft. Good night. Good night. Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk? Well, you left me anyhow and then the days got worse and worse and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And they're coming to take me away, haha, they're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats and they're coming to take me away. You thought it was a joke, and so you laughed. You laughed when I had said that losing you would make me flip my lid. Right? You know you laughed. I heard you laugh. You laughed, you laughed, and laughed, and then you left. But now you know I'm utterly mad. And they're coming to take me away, ha-ha. They're coming to take me away, ho-ho, hee-hee, ha-ha. To the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch. Or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.